0: We're going to take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 17. Tonight is the final night of our series on questions. And Louie, uh, where is Louie? Can you see me over there? You gave me two questions. I am not done with a sermon on your two questions. So I will get to your questions at some point. I'm still working on them, so before the end of the year it will be done. But you gave me quite the quite the task with those, so I want to make sure... I do a pretty good job. It might even be two, might be three messages. So I will get those for you. So I thank everyone else. We got through those. I was going to cover more on the end times, but no one asked me any questions from two weeks ago. I must have just done a great job explaining it all, and there was nothing else to explain after that message. I'm kind of rolling my eyes to that. But I was asked this question, and this is kind of a loaded question. It's one of those things, why are churches so divided? Not individuals within the church, and that happens. But in general, you have so many different churches. Like if you were, <laughs> I was going to say if you pull out a phone book, wow, that was an old statement right there. How many of you even have a phone book anymore? Let me ask that question. I, somehow I knew the O'Donnells would have one of those. Because he brought me the other day for my kids to play with some old pagers. If you've got old pagers laying around, you know that you oh, I see those pagers, it was an amazing thing to me. But a phone book and a phone book man it's just amazing you don't need phone books anymore but back in the day you pull out a phone book and you look up church and there's every church under the sun and pages of churches different denominations all this other stuff and you know you look at our sign we're victory baptist church there's a victory outreach here in town there's calvary chapel here in town there's is a cross point, cross roads right down the street there. There's something called the Brit, a church called The Bridge down the road there. There's Valley Christian. There's Lutheran churches. There's all sorts of different churches. So why are there so, why are there so many different branches or whatever you want to call it, denominations? Why are churches so divided? And where, where do you go with all of that? What is behind all of that? And so it's a loaded question. And we're going to do our best to answer that tonight. It's amazing, even those in the Baptist realm, or even there's so many different Baptists and so many different things. I heard this the other day. This, I found this. I typed in trying to find a joke to go along with the message tonight, and so I found this. A man came up to another man who was leaning over a rail near a river, and he decided to ask the guy some questions, and he said, are you a Christian or a non-Christian? The man said, I'm a Christian. The guy's like, me too. It's a small world. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic. The man answered, I'm Protestant. I was like, wow, me too. That's so amazing. So uh, what denomination? The man replied, I'm Baptist. I'm Baptist too. These guys had so much in common. So the man asked the other man, so are you a northern Baptist or a southern Baptist? And the man said, I'm a northern Baptist. He's like, wow, this is so amazing. I'm a northern Baptist as well. Well, are you a northern conservative Baptist or a northern liberal Baptist? And the man smiled and said, I'm a northern conservative Baptist. And whoa, me too. This is so amazing. And he said, well, let me go a little deeper. Are you a northern conservative fundamental Baptist? Or are you a northern conservative reform Baptist? And he says confidently, I'm a northern conservative fundamental Baptist. Remarkable. And he said, so are you a northern conservative fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region? Or a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Eastern Region? And the man said, «I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region». Like, that's a miracle. Let's go a little further. Are you a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? The man said, «I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912.» To which the man replied, you're a heretic, die, and pushed him into the river. And uh, that sounds funny, but some people do get that divided on things. And really in in the Baptist world, there are some crazy things that go that deep. They're so far removed and so far down the road. But as we get to this tonight, why do so many churches disagree with one another? Where should we be? Where should we stand? What should we do? That is the question tonight, and we are going to let Jesus answer the question, then we're going to dive a little deeper into it. We're going to have a good time with this tonight, and hopefully no one will label me a heretic by the time I'm done tonight. We're just going to go with what Jesus says and look at his words, okay? John chapter 17, John chapter 17. Some of you, that joke might have been over your head a little bit, but I thought it was funny. And I know we're not in the north, but that's the only place that had that joke. So I just went with it. I didn't change it. It was original. And so you could go, man, Baptist. You got, the, you got the GARB crowd. You got the conservative. You got the independent Baptist. You got the independent fundamental. You've got, we could just go all through it. You got your regular Baptist. You got your first Baptist. You got your general Baptist. And the list will never end. It just keeps on going and going and going and going. So why why does there need to be 50,000 branches of Baptists? Why does there need to be, why, you know, who, who really are brothers and sisters in the Lord? There's a good question. We're going to look at that tonight. John chapter 17. A lot of people would say that the Lord's prayer would be, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Matthew chapter 6. That's not, that is the model prayer. It's not to be repeated as in vain repetition but it's the model prayer teaches us how to pray if you talk about jesus's prayer it is john chapter 17 we're not going to take time tonight to look at the entire chapter because there's a lot of good things here but i want you to see verse number one verse number 20 through verse 23 that's what we're going to look at tonight john chapter 17 verse number one these words spake jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son, may, that thy son also may, be, may glorify thee. Verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So really, right there, Jesus is praying his intercessory prayer here for you and me. Because we have believed on the Lord through the word of the apostles, right? So Jesus in the garden before he died on the cross was praying for you and me right here. We read verse twenty-one. That th- so this is his prayer for us. Anybody who's believed on the Lord through the word of God. So this is all this is us. Are you ready? That they all may be one. It doesn't say some of them, it says all, doesn't it? Am I stretching the Bible at all right there? I'm not. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved, or or hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So there's quite a bit of things that Jesus said right here for us today in these verses. Some people don't like hearing things like this. But I'm going to explain myself in a way tonight. I think you will not label me a heretic tonight. You're going to see this is what Jesus is laying out here for us. But as we look at these verses, I want you to understand as we look at them that there are three things throughout this chapter that fill the heart of Jesus. The first one is for himself to be glorified. That's verse 1 through verse 5. Verse number 6 through 19 is he prayed for his disciples, for their protection and for their sanctification, or as they're sanctified and set apart to do the work for God. And then his prayer is in verse 20 through verse 23, is for all of us who have received the gospel and are saved to be unified. That's the Lord's prayer for us today. The best, as we read this here, and we just read these verses here, it says, do you see how it says there in verse number 23? It says, or the end of verse 21, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Verse 23, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The best advertisement to this world of christianity is god's people getting along with one another it does not matter their stripe or brand if they are saved and believe in jesus christ that's the truth people have difference of opinions on things and that's okay But those differences is where we get a lot of our craziness in our world today and denominational craziness to some degree. But if someone believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and they believe the gospel as it is preached in the word of God, that makes them your brother and sister in Christ, like it or not. And there might be some people you might not be so, you know, Sometimes I hear pastors say things about churches and people and they are their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what Christ was praying for in this passage is the direct thing that we're tearing down. But there is a balance with all of that which we'll talk about here in just a minute and tie it all together. And so as we look tonight, I see four expectations from this passage and then I'll give you some other thoughts and we'll move on. First, one is this number one, the parameters of oneness include all believers. That's what it says here. He said in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. It doesn't say that all the Baptists be one and the Presbyterians all be one. It doesn't say that. This is talking about believers in Jesus Christ. That they all be one. And in verse 23 it says that they may be made perfect in one. True believers in Christ. Let's just be honest here for a minute. No matter what stripe of Christianity you want to call yourself. Have a common unity and community in Jesus Christ. You think about this tonight. And let's just put this into perspective and then we'll dive a little deeper into it. So. For salvation, when we get saved, we are put in Christ, right? Haven't we studied that enough in the book of Romans? We are in Christ. So you're not in the Baptist church that you're in tonight. We go to a Baptist church. I'm a Baptist. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. I'm thankful to be a Baptist. I'd rather be a Baptist than anything else, and I'll explain that in a little bit tonight. But being a Baptist isn't what gets me to heaven. Being in Christ is what gets me to heaven. So anyone who is in Christ, we have something in common with them. We have the same Father. We have, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. But I will also help you tonight. Those who do not follow Christ and the gospel for salvation, they are not my brother and sister in Christ. They are not a part of it because it's all about being in Christ. That's where it all comes down to. So with that in mind, think about these cautions. The first one is this. We've got to be very careful, letter A, and we've got to abandon extreme separatism. Some believers refuse to acknowledge there are other true Christians in other churches. We're Baptists, so I'm going to talk about Baptists tonight. I won't talk about others. There are some Baptists out there. And they, I would claim they are Baptist briders is a great name for that. Where they believe the only true church is the Baptist church. And that unless you're saved in a Baptist church, or that you get baptized in a Baptist church, then you're not really a part of the bride of Christ. That's how far that goes. Which is silliness. Because, and they try to trace things all the way back to John the Baptist, the first Baptist. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a little bit. John the Baptist, they call him the first Baptist, but we'll, we'll, I'll explain that a little bit better for you. When someone says, Baptists go all the way back to John the Baptist, they don't have a true history of things, and you need to get a better background on all of that. But this happens at times. I want you to get a newsflash tonight if you have that idea that only Baptists are truly saved and truly a part of things. You've got to understand something. We don't have an exclusive lock on the truth. Whoever has this book, whoever has the gospel, let me help you tonight. We around here, we use the King James Bible. But someone can be saved through other versions of the Bible. Because it's the gospel that saves, correct? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what version you get that out of, you can get the gospel in many places. So we don't have an exclusive lock on things, and we are no better than anybody else. And sometimes we will look at other Christians and be like, and in our Baptist realm, I know lots of churches. Unless you dot your I's like them or cross your T's just like them, they don't want nothing to do with you. If you don't do it just like me, I can't have fellowship with you. I do not think that's what the Lord was trying to teach or wanted. And we've got to be very careful as we look at this passage tonight, as we study things out here, and as we look, we've got to abandon that extreme separatism. We cannot reach everyone for the Lord. Do you realize that tonight? We cannot. This is what Jesus had to say in Matthew 9, verse 37, 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. There are not enough laborers to get the work done. We need more and more and more. And let me just help you out tonight. Not everyone in this world wants to come to a Baptist church. I wish they would. I like Baptists. I am one. Some people will never step foot in a Baptist church. So I am thankful for churches that preach the gospel, and though their flavor of music or their flavor of of versions, whatever the case may be, it might be different than us, if they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ... I'm thankful for them. And we should not be so hard on them. Letter B. Avoid ecumenical sloppiness. That's a big word right there, ecumenical. So we need to abandon extreme um, separatism, but we also got to avoid ecumenical sloppiness. The word ecumenical means all-inclusive. It's the push for uniformity among churches that we need to avoid. There are, let me just help you tonight, there are doctrinal differences and biblical distinctions that must be maintained. They have to be. You gotta understand, if you look, look at this passage of scripture where we're at. Before Jesus says anything about the unity of the church, look at what he says in verse 17. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when it comes to unity, when it comes to these things, it all must be based on the truth of Jesus Christ. If someone doesn't believe right about Christ, do they have salvation? No. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No man can get to God or to the Father but through Jesus Christ. If a church does not preach Christ correctly and put him, and let's talk about salvation for a minute. A church that believes in a works-based salvation is not a church that we would unify with. Because you are basing your salvation on good works and not on being in Christ. That's what it comes down to. The truth of the word of God. The truth alone must determine our alignments and our partnerships. You've got to understand as we look at that, there are s- secondary and things that we might disagree with others, but the core doctrine has to be there. If the core doctrine of Jesus Christ is wrong, we have nothing in common. What fellowship do we have? We don't have fellowship. Core doctrine matters. And you think about this at the end of the day, let's be honest tonight, only those who have truly trusted Christ are the ones that we are to be unified with. So let's throw out some, you say, Pastor, you're going to throw out some examples? I will. I will our our church should never unify with a catholic church a catholic church they might call themselves christians but they do not believe right about christ are there people in there that probably believe right about christ i'm sure there are and i praise god for that but we don't align with that we are not going to have fellowship with a mormon church they don't believe right about christ there, we could go down the road and go down lots of different ones. There are a lot of Pentecostal churches we would not have any fellowship with because they don't believe in salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to. That's what's important. So you look, in, and that's where sometimes we've got to get past this thing of we're the only ones out there serving God. No, that's what Elijah said. And there were still 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. There were still a lot of people still serving God. There are in our city a lot of great churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm very thankful for each and every one that preaches the word of God. And so we got to abandon extreme separatism. But on the same side of that, we got to be very careful to avoid ecumenical sloppiness. We are not all the same. We are not all, all roads don't lead to the same place. There is one road, one way, and it's Jesus Christ. If you're not on the road and in Christ, then we're not on the same road. We're in different places. That's what we've got to remember. And then letter C, we've got to adhere to unity but not uniformity. And so churches will be different. In the past, I've said some things, and I'll just, you know, Our church, some churches, they like having a rock concert for their worship. Can you prove biblically that that is wrong? You cannot. If anyone here can, you can sit down with me in my office and prove that to me. Just because that's not my flavor doesn't mean that they're wrong because they do that. That's not, churches will be different. And that's okay if they're preaching the gospel. But then you'll have some that will preach the gospel and miss out on lots of other key doctrines. We've got to stick to the doctrine, but it's okay to be a little different. I'm not a big Augustine fan, but this was a quote from him, and I like this quote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And I don't quote, I will never quote hardly anything from him because I didn't like him very much. But that's a good quote right there. I don't even know if the guy was saved, but I think that's a good quote. And so as we look at this tonight and as we dive through, the parameters of oneness include all believers. Number two, the pattern for oneness is linked to the unity within the Trinity. That's what this passage says. In verse number 11 of the same passage, we see how Jesus, he said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. We see him talking about the disciples there. And Jesus prayed that his disciples would experience the oneness that existed in the relationship he had with the Father. Verse 21 in our text here tonight We see they all, it says that they also may be one in us. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. The unity Christ wants for us is so intimate, so personal, so vital that it is patterned and based on the relationship that exists between the Godhead. That's what Jesus says right here. Number three, the purpose of oneness or unity is to accelerate evangelism. That's what it's for. Verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The best witnessing we can do is get along with other Christians. Do you know why? Because the world can't get along with anybody. look look in our look in our government today at the things that have gone on the past week or past couple weeks now you got all these democrats turning on their guy that they wanted right they're turning on him even cnn is turning on him some that's a miracle right there but this world that's all that happens in this world you look okay look at the look at the um the recall here in California, they are like, what, 20 Republicans in it? And none of them even like each other for the most part. They're all wanting, they all want everyone's votes and they don't want you to vote for another one. They're not unified. This world's not going to be unified on things. So when the world sees the people of God getting along, it's something like, whoa, that's, there's something different there. That's why those who believe in Christ should get along with one another. You don't have to be their best friend. You don't have to go to their church, but you can get along. And so the purpose of oneness to accelerate evangelism, the number four, the practice of oneness puts God's reputation on display to the world. Verse 22 says, And the glory that thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. The word glory represents the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. When we are unified, the world will stand up and take notice of God because they see him glorified in us. It's one of the things that I thought was really good with COVID in California. Some of the conference calls I got to be a part of, with some Baptist pastors that would never in a million years ever be in the same room with a Calvary Chapel pastor. They had nothing to do with them. Because they don't do things like they do. But they all got behind a common cause, and a lot of them opened their churches on at the end of May. Together. I thought that was a good thing for the world to see. I thought it was a great thing to see. Did you see the other day that L.A. County had to give $800,000 to John MacArthur's church because they lost the case against them and the county had to pay all the court costs? I love that. Praise God for that. Even in the state of California that happens. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that they stood for what was right. And yet I've heard many of my Baptist friends, and for a long time I always heard that John MacArthur was quite a liberal and didn't even follow the Bible very well. And he's a very godly, godly man. Very. Just because someone doesn't do something just like you doesn't mean that they're not godly. We follow the word of God and what it says. And so I think it was a great thing when all that COVID stuff because you had all these churches stand together. I think that was great. That was one good thing that came of it. And that's what, why we think of Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we talk about this and we go forward. I want to just give you a few more thoughts tonight, and I won't be, we're going to get through this. When we talk about the oneness and puts God's reputation on display, two things come to mind when we talk about churches, okay? You have number one or letter A underneath your notes, you have the universal church. The universal church, we don't have a universal church today per se. We are put into one body. The Bible makes that clear, correct? But a uni- the universal church will be take place. The church is a called out assembly. Is What the word church, ecclesia, that's where it comes from. So when we are called out of this place to be with the Lord, we will have our universal church. Today, we have, letter B, we have local churches. If you will notice Paul's epistles that were written in the New Testament, Paul wrote it to the Philippians, that wasn't, Phili- that wasn't um, the Philippines, but that was the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church at Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia. In the book of Revelation, there was, there was uh, letters written to the church of Laodicea, Sardis, Philadelphia, all these different places. And so today, we have local churches, and I thank God for that. And so we got to understand, at the end of it all, there is one body. That body will be called, and the Catholics like to use that term, universal. That's where they, they, they like that term, universal. The universal church is what's going to take place when we're called out together into one body. There will be no more Baptists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, or any other group. We'll all be Christ and with him. But today, we just have local churches. That's what we have. So in Chino, there are a bunch of local churches. And they are, you know, lots of different flavors, lots of different things to it. And what we got to understand about it all is we are commanded or strongly urged in the book of hebrews to attend a local church and be involved in it not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one so much more as you see the day approaching now that's just the foundation that's found from what jesus had to say there in john chapter 17 so you say pastor why are there so many disagreements between christians why are there so many denominations why does all this stuff happen i'm glad you asked so why churches disagree with one another? I've got several points for you, and then we'll it's done. Number one, I would say because of dispersion. They they were you think about this. One big reason there are differences among churches goes back to the Lord's command in Acts chapter number one, where to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The church started with hundred and fifty in Acts one fifteen. A short time later, in Acts 2.41, there were over 3,000. And then during after Pentecost and these things, it grew to 5,000, and the churches kept growing and growing. But you got to realize as these believers took the gospel to different cultures and countries, the methods and the differences, there was just differences. Like today, you can go into different churches in different places in the world. Um, some of our family, some of Caroline's Um, her brother and then sister and their families they're missionaries in Africa their church service is different than what we're having here today one of the things that I thought was very funny Caroline's mom was talking about the other day was the fact that they thought when they got there they could run a church like they do in Hammond, Indiana from the church they came from Hammond, Indiana and Ghana, West Africa are two totally different places you are not going to have a Hammond church in Africa. You're not going to have a Hammond church right next to Gary, Indiana and in Chicago in Chino, California. It's just not going to be the same. You could go up um, where Johnny's at at um, Golden State Baptist College and you've got North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara. Their Their context is totally different than what our context would be right here. Completely different. And so that's where... It all began. Secondly, number two, as we talk about these differences and why churches disagree with one another, doctrine. Some churches disagree because of doctrinal differences. Doctrine matters. Bible tells us in Jude, verse number three, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And that's important. We will not compromise when it comes to the inerrancy of Scripture. We won't compromise on the virgin birth of Christ. We won't compromise on the doctrine of Christ. We won't compromise on the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. We won't. And we will not have fellowship and have disagreements with those that don't stand for the basic Bible doctrines that are found in the Word of God. And so that's one of the reasons for all the separation. Number three... Why is there so much separation and so much disagreements with different churches? Because of depravity. One of the biggest reasons congregations splinter and denominations divide is simply because we are all self-centered and selfish sinners. That's our biggest problem. In Victory Baptist Church, why do we have problems at times? Because we are all selfish and self-centered. Me too. I'm right there. The other day, I, got, I was a little testy with someone because of the way that they said something to me. And why, why was I testy? Because I'm self-centered, and I am selfish at times. And that's just, we all are that way. That's where it, a lot of our problems come from. And so we've got to be very careful. And, you know, the Bible even talks about in Galatians 5.15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And why would... Oh, are we going to bite? or de- Why is that? Because we're depraved. That's why, the depravity of man. Number four, divisiveness. And a spirit of divisiveness can settle on Christians. Think about what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12 and 13. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Paulos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Well, I'm a follower of John MacArthur. Well, I'm a follower of Judah Smith. I'm a follower of whoever the case may be. Is Christ divided? Did John MacArthur die on the cross for me? Did Jack Hiles get, did I get baptized in his name? No. It's up all about Christ but sometimes we get into our little camps or our little fellowships and there's a lot of divisiveness that doesn't need to be there. Number five would be disputes. Acts chapter 15 we see this. The early church was faced with some theological crisis. Basically, and the, Jewish can- the Jerusalem council established that Gentiles didn't have to become Jewish to be saved. But we see that there were disputes, and they tried to handle those. Then there's disputes, and the Bible even tells us in Acts 15.31, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation, and they were grateful that they settled that dispute. Then literally, just a few verses later in verse 39 of the same chapter, Acts 15.39, we see the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they departed from one another. Which leads to number 6. Disagreements is another reason why there's so many splinters of all these different things. You can have disputes that get settled and then we see that you, let's talk about this for a second. You've got Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Paul didn't want John Mark to go again. Who was right? I don't know. John Mark wrote the book that we're studying Sunday morning. Paul was grateful for John Mark later on. So maybe Barnabas was right. But then Barnabas is never mentioned again in the Bible, and Paul writes a bunch of epistles. But I will tell you this because the pride in both of those men, and far better Christians than me, both of them, but the pride in both of them, the greatest missionary combination broke up because they couldn't figure it out. Only by pride cometh contention, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? And we see that contention was so great in them. But why do we have so many divisions? There's another good rea- reason. Disagreements. And then number seven. I've had all these D's so I went with devotion. The final factor I want to mention. Sometimes the churches disagree and divide. Because of mission and methodology. It's amazing how all of that works. and this, And some people... I've heard of and doing some study and research, some denominations formed and splintered off just because they felt that they were doing God's work better than the other group was and their devotion to God, they felt. Who's right? Who's wrong? It's not my job to figure out. But you see, a lo- you see the problem why we don't have any perfect churches today? Are you ready? We don't have any perfect people and we have no perfect pastors. We have no perfect deacons. We have no perfect church members. So there's going to be problems. The perfect pastor, we'll get to be with him someday, and praise God for that, in the perfect church. But for now, we've got to do our best to get along with one another, love one another, and push forward for the Lord. I'm just about out of time, so I'm going to tie this up very quickly, and I'm not going to give you all that I was going to do. But you basically talk about where all the different groups start from the branches of Christianity or whatever you want to call it. And so, basically, I would label things, I would label four groups. I don't even think I gave you this in your notes. Did I give this to you in your notes? I don't think I did. And so... Um, Could I have my usher, please, escort whoever that was out of the building, please? (laughs) Matthew points at his mom. Oh, that's great, Matthew. Matthew, that was good. That was good. Matthew, you get the award for the best one of the night. That was good right there. You look like you're half asleep. Were you asleep over there? Almost asleep. All right. I can tell that David was the one. But anyways. I lost my train of thought. My own family are the ones responsible for that. David, it's all good. It's all good. It happens. Everyone else in this room has done it one time or another, but you've got to give me $20 out of your piggy bank because isn't that the rule is $20? So he's crying back there. I better leave him alone. Um, you could basically break down Christianity and all of this into four groups. The first group would be Bible believers, number one. I would say, number two, Roman Catholics. Number three, I would say, would be Eastern Orthodox. And number four, I would say Protestant. Would be the four groups I would break it down to. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of all these different groups. From the very beginning... Back to the days of the apostles, there were groups of Bible-believing Christians. There was groups, I'll just give you a few names. There was a group called the Paulicians. They were a great group of people that followed the Word of God, but do you know why they were called Paulicians? Not because they followed Paul. All they had were Paul's writings. So they didn't even have all the Gospels. All they had was Paul's writings. That's why they were called the Paulicians. But during that time, there were false groups as well. And there were true Christians that followed the word of God. Some people like to say the Baptists go all the way back to that time. That's not a true statement. There were early Bible-believing Christians that go all the way back to the days of Christ, through the disciples' line. Paulatians would be a group around 312, 315, the Catholic Church started under Constantine. Constantine started the Catholic Church... His whole goal in starting the Catholic Church was to unite the religions of Rome together. He was the emperor of Rome, and he was trying to combine these things together. And, so, and that's one of the things with Catholicism. He tried to bring all religions together during that time. And a lot of their weird religions and things, they had a, a female figure that was highly exalted, and she had a miraculous son. So it was easy in Catholicism to tie Mary and Jesus into that. And that helped go down that line and set off a long group of papal rule and all those different things that I'm not going to even get into all that tonight. The Dark Ages, lots of things, lots of Bible-believing Christians, their lives, they were burned at the stake, they were drowned, they were persecuted for the gospel and for the truth there were groups that the catholics just destroyed the waldensians was a group devout christians you could go through so many different groups the mennonites where they got their start they started out during that time as well lots of groups we could go through baptists never came out of the catholic church or out of the protestant movement the protestant movement started when uh, we'll use martin luther as an example In 1531, I believe October 31st, 1531, he nailed his theses on the door of his church. And by doing that, he was protesting the Roman church. That's where the Protestants started. They protested the Catholic church. And so they got right on some things, but they never got fully out. They were still part of their mama, just a different breed from there. And that's Lutherans, Methodists, they all come out of the Protestant movement that came out of the Catholic Church. The Bible-believing group, you could trace, and I could give you, if you want, some time. I gotta, I gotta, I've, I'm a history guy, so I could go through a list of things, and we're just about out of time. This isn't like Marquise last week where he got out at 7.05, okay? There's a little bit more that i got to go through. This to, his sermon was great, and I'll tell you this. There was not a more qualified guy to speak on what he did than Marquise. And so I miss him a lot around here. He was a great blessing and a help to our church. But I want you to understand that the earliest things you ever have of a Baptist would be late 1500s, 1600s when you first hear Baptists mentioned. They were called Anabaptists. Baptists got their names because they rebaptized. That's where the name came from. So this is what would happen. As a baby, you were sprinkled in the Catholic Church. Did you know this? And just for sake of it, did you know in the Catholic Church, until about 500 A.D., they had full baptismal tanks, and they immersed underwater? There was a council that got together and decided that how were infants supposed to be able to get to heaven if they weren't sprinkled, and that's when sprinkling started. So Catholics did start by dunking their people too. That just stopped around 500 so, with all that being said, someone would grow up Catholic, they would get sprinkled. Well, a Bible believing Christian, a Baptist, we're using that group, late 1500s, would tell someone the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would get saved. That happened. Well, the Bible teaches that you get baptized after salvation. So, Catholic groups and some of the Protestant groups named the Anabaptists because they took. Those who were sprinkled as a kid that got saved, and when they got baptized, they mocked them by calling them rebaptizers. Why do you need to rebaptize someone? So we look today, and all this, one of the core doctrines of the Baptists that we have is baptism by immersion. People literally died for that at the hands of the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church wanted no part of that. And they stood for what was right, and that's where Baptists began, as Bible-believing Christians. There have always been a line of Bible-believing Christians all the way through, but that's the source where that all begins. We could go into detail of how you had your two main groups, you had your Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists, and think of Civil War and all that time. You know why there was Northern and Southern. And then you would say, let's just go Southern, because Southern would be more what I would So in the Southern Baptist Church, there was a day in the early 30s where the Southern Baptist, they decided to get a missions base and they were starting to be like a denomination. Some didn't like that. And that's when the Independent Baptist Movement started out of the Southern Baptist. And so from there, that's where the Independent Baptist came from. And down that line is similar to, that's where we come from. This is an Independent Baptist Church. And I could give you... 10 days worth of information that I didn't give you. But I'm just going to give you one last thing tonight. We are a Baptist church. I am grateful for those who have stood for our faith through the years. And I'm grateful to be a Baptist tonight. I am Baptist by conviction. And if Baptists go away from the Word of God, I will always stick with the Bible. I'm a Biblicist before I'm a Baptist but I am a Baptist. You are in a Baptist church. If you are a member of this church, you're a Baptist too. And you might not even know what, a, what is a Baptist. That would have been smart to know before you became a member of a Baptist church, right? So I'm going to give you a couple things to help you remember a few things about being a Baptist. Just take the word Baptist and add an S on the end of it. And then I'm going to give you a list of things right here. So there are, you think about this, there are many flavors and branches of Baptist, But this acrostic that's in your notes gives you a great way of knowing what a Baptist is. The first B is biblical authority. Some of you didn't even know how to spell Baptist. It's spelled out there for you. So it's not bab, Baptist, bab, B-A-B, no, B-A-P-T, bab, like baptized Baptist. So the first B, the B there is biblical authority. We believe that God's word is the sole authority. Over tradition, over anything, God's word is the ultimate authority. A, autonomy of the local church. That means, and let's just expl- so like people have asked me, where's the head church for Victory Baptist? There is no head church. Christ is the head of the church. We do not believe in a head church, a mother church, parenting and being over churches. There are a lot of groups that do that. Like someone asked me a while back when I was out door knocking and I'm talking to them, they're like, so did the denominational board tell you to go to that church? No. So how do you become the pastor of Victory Baptist Church? I started a Baptist church on the other side of town. There was this Baptist church. And there were six to ten members of this church at that time. Those members of this church met me. Maybe they didn't like me at first. Maybe they did. I don't know. And don't go into detail about that. But at the end of the day, the members of Victory Baptist Church voted me in as the pastor of Victory Baptist Church. No one sent me from someplace else. There is no head church somewhere. So this is the thing. We don't get outside money from other churches or from a big denominational head. Whatever comes in is what we, so you look around here. All that we've done in this building in the past 11 years, you all and I have paid to do it. When you see at the end of the month, this is what money came in. That's the tithes and offerings of God's people in this place. The missionaries we support, no one tells us what missionaries we support. We as a church decide which missionaries we support. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. There is no head church over it. Next, P, priesthood of the believer. You, you, if you notice, there's no confessional booth here. And thank God, do you know how long I'd have to be in that booth? John O'Donnell would come see me, and he'd be here for five days confessing his sins for the past week. And He would just talk to me the whole time. But anyways, we do, you got to understand, you don't need a priest to go to God. And like some people will say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I will pray for you, but you don't need me to for you. We are all priests with the Lord. We believe in priesthood of the believer. You don't need, you don't need a church. You don't need a man. You don't need a pope. You don't need anybody to go to God. You as a believer can go to God for yourself. There are two ordinances in the church. So B-A-P-T, two ordinances. The two ordinances are baptism and Lord's Supper, communion. Those are the ordinances. They're not sacraments. There are groups that believe they're sacraments which are necessary for salvation. As ordinances, they are pictures of things. The baptism, Lord's Supper, we go deeper into all that. There's some verses there for you. We also, B-A-P-T-I, we believe in individual soul liberty. Most Baptists really don't believe in that one. They really don't. I believe in individual soul liberty. And we could go deeper into all of that. Let everyone be fully persuaded in their own minds. It's not my job to police you. You have something called the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I preach the truth. You take the truth and you do what you need to do with the truth. That's your job, not my job. I might police some things around here, but that's a different story. and We'll get off of that. B-A-P-T-I-S, saved, baptized church membership. That's what Baptists believe. And that comes from Acts chapter number 2. They that were added to the church, they were baptized, and then they were added unto the church. And so I know nowadays, look, there. I don't believe in church membership. If that's where you're at, be fully persuaded in your own mind. Be saved and be baptized. At least go that far. I think that's a great thing. But Baptists believe in saved, baptized church membership. And that's what what church membership is. You aren't sprinkled into the membership. You don't have to do your different classes and things. In order to be a member of a Baptist church, you've got to be saved and scripturally baptized. That's all it comes down to. There are two offices in the church. Pastor, deacon. Those are the only two that you see found in the Word of God. That's it. Committees are not found in there trustees are not found in there deacons and pastors are found there in order to be a corporation you need trustees though so we'll leave that one there so that's more of a state thing than it is but the two offices is pastor and deacon and then the last s the final thing there, separation of church and state and i'll give you one little tidbit and then we're on our way do you know our founding documents don't say anything about separation of church and state you realize that right there was a group of Baptists in Connecticut that wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. And those Baptists wrote the letter to Thomas Jefferson concerned that some of the, um, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights didn't go far enough to protect from the state running the church. That's what they were trying to get away from. That's why they got out of England. That was, the, that was one of the big points there. And so the group asked Thomas Jefferson in the letter. This is where the phrase came from. It's not found in our founding documents. They asked about separation of church and state. I'll give you one last little thing. Did you know the Bill of Rights? One of the men who helped James Madison with that was a pastor by the name of John Leland. He was a Baptist pastor. Look him up. A good man. And so you could look him up sometimes. So some of the great principles we have found in our Bill of Rights helped by a Baptist preacher. So you can look that up on your own time and see that. If you want more history about all this stuff, I can, you can come sit down anytime and I can talk Bible. I'm Baptist history with you anytime you want. And so I'm thankful to be a Baptist tonight. I'm thankful for those who preach the gospel. I'm thankful for what they do in our city.